Welcome to another episode of the WAN Manager Podcast. I am your host, Greg Bryan. And today we're going to be talking about network monitoring. So, of course, most of the enterprises we talk to are running dozens or more SaaS applications. Most uh, of the folks who respond to our WAN Manager survey have moved their data centers off-premises. The strong majority are connecting to multiple infrastructure as a service providers. Uh, and of course, enterprises are increasingly likely to piece together networks from many vendors, um, include many network products in, in that underlay, and, and have um, a pretty diverse underlay to orchestrate and manage. And one of the keys to facilitating that task, of course, is visibility and monitoring into the network. And so that is going to be our main topic of today. And for that, my guest is Avi Friedman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Kentic, and uh, he's going to help us take a deeper look at uh, how network monitoring came about uh, at Kentic and and where he thinks it should go for the modern network. So welcome, Avi. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, I, I think it would be useful uh, maybe for the audience first to get just a background um, from you on, on you have uh, a, an interesting history uh, in, in the, the uh, industry from what I could see from your LinkedIn page and, and, and how that led you to uh, come to be a co-founder of Kentech, perhaps. Sure. So um, I grew up in the 80s. And when I went to college at Temple University, I discovered an empty T1 and hmm. I was a big Unix fan. That was huge there. back then. I mean, a that T1 was, was yeah, absolutely. I have, yeah. actually have a, a BAT T1 CSU DSU behind me as a reminder from yeah. the ASP days. But yeah. at the time, it seemed infinitely large. Mm -hmm. And um, I just got really fascinated by all things networking and, and, and inter-networking. And I was, when I was getting ready to leave Temple University, there was no way to buy dial-up internet access uh, in 1992 in Philadelphia. So I started the first ISP. I had always wow. wanted to run multi-line BBSs. I wrote a C program that looked like a bulletin board system. This is back before anyone thought that people would have IP addresses at home, you right. know, so text and gopher and, and all that. And I uh, got into it that way. And I remember getting into BGP by emailing the May East list saying, how does this peering thing work? And wow. I was so wow, yeah. frustrated by how opaque it was that I started documenting all my confused learnings and that got me off into the networking community. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And, and so how, how does that ultimately take you to, uh, to founding uh, Kentic sure. uh, a few years ago? So I, I had uh, sold my ISP and joined uh, a networking company called AboveNet, which was one of the large hosting providers in the late nineties. Oh, I remember actually, that. Yeah. I, got, I got frustrated with networking because uh, I don't know if you remember the internet in the nineties was, was not that reliable and, uh, you know, to make it given the fiber and the tools and the routers was difficult. And I saw this company called Akamai and I thought, this is awesome. Software defined mm -hmm. network. People can sleep at night because it's the right. software's fault. If something goes wrong. Right. And then I showed up and I said, okay, well, where do we need to deploy the servers? And they're like, well, you know, let's look at the board watch list. And I said, wait, we have the data for this. And so I, my first week, we built a database that used their MapReduce-like infrastructure to figure out where we should deploy servers. And then I was at Akamai for 10 years, and I just assumed that any, everyone had solved this problem. But mm -hmm. I discovered when I left, uh, when I left Akamai in 2009, that this wasn't a solved problem um, and started selling network sensors. And then all those people said, look, 
we got the internet, we have cloud, everything is orchestrated. We can't keep buying appliances for all these things. We need open platforms. And, and that was what uh, uh, got me in and convinced me to uh, start Kentec back in uh, back in 2014. Gotcha. And and just to provide anybody listening uh, who, who isn't familiar, can you give us the sort of, um, uh, you know, extended elevator pitch maybe on on what Kentic is doing for, um, well, let's focus first on, on enterprises because that's where, uh, you know, our core audience uh, comes from. Sure. So we're the observability platform that the teams that make the networks go use. And those people are usually concerned with protecting uptime, performance, some security use cases. Um, they'll uh, use it from the NOC to network planning to even sometimes finance groups. Um, and uh, we take the network telemetry from the breadth of platforms, from the stuff you own to the stuff you don't, you know, from mm -hmm. routers and switches to cloud, per doing performance tests to SaaS, bring it all in one place, have the workflows to the right users. And it, it basically winds up being a platform that, that people sit in uh, to do the jobs of running the infrastructure that makes their business go. Right. Absolutely. So, so thinking back um, to to that time when I think you said 2014, is that right? Yeah, when Ken took his first yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, 2014 is a very different <laughs> world for the WAN, right? Um, you know, we have uh, your you know, most enterprises had their data centers uh, mostly on premises. Then you had apps hosted locally. They were using the intranet. They were using MPLS as their intranet. They weren't, uh, you know, nearly as much as they are now connecting to the cloud over the internet. Um, uh, how have those changes uh, sort of changed the, the need for something like network monitoring? Well, I think that with the diversity that we've seen comes um, an even greater need to replicate or surpass the level of, of visibility and operations uh, assist that people had in a constrained, you know, data center environment. Now that they've got cloud, they may still have some MPLS. They've got, uh, I guess we're not allowed to say SD-WAN. We have to say SASE. Right. Uh, you know, yes. they've, got, they've got whatever the branding of, you know, now they've got network as a service, which I have friends that work at, at most of the network as a service companies, but it still makes me laugh my laugh to say, well, now we have network as a service. It's like the, an MPLS is not. Um, right. so they, Wasn't it a service before, right? I thought it was, yeah, exactly. but I was selling it. I thought it was, yeah. but all these things are complex as people are looking to migrate to, from around cloud, they find that those monitoring services are not very network friendly. Mm. So what we've seen is the same kind of approach that enterprises are taking across their business, which is where's the data, put it on a bus, who needs to use it, what do we need to do, is how people mm -hmm. are, are really thinking about it. And that's, we just, luckily we, we designed the platform to, to work in that world. But if you think about who consumes some of the data, it's not just Kentic, it's New Relic, it's Grafana, it's uh, you know some of the security services. We're seeing a lot in the enterprise of, you know have these systems all work together. Because in a dynamic orchestrated world, if the security people don't know what the application people are doing and the network people don't, then they might think it's an attack. And if the security right. people or the network people are applying policies and the application people can't see that, they might think it's a misconfig or a code error. So this isn't all solved, but we're seeing a lot of that uh, you know discussion coming together. And so um, short answer, uh, in the modern world, things are more diverse and it becomes mm -hmm. even more important to be able to get a, get a view of 
how the traffic is actually flowing that supports the revenue of the companies. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so you kind of mentioned that that you were lucky that you had designed it this way. But um, have these changes in the way that uh, most enterprises are sort of um, sourcing and organizing their WANs has that led to new tools uh, from Kentic uh, on, on your side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we started, the assumption was you could get the data from all of your infrastructure. Now that's just not the case. There's some MPLS vendors that don't um, that don't export it. That was always the case. There are some SASE SD-WAN vendors that don't. So adding synthetic network performance transactions has been important. Um, similarly, off in cloud, they have these things that started as firewall logs called cloud VPC flow logs that can give you know a lot of benefit. And and in a serverless world and, and even um, in a Kubernetified world, having host eVPF agents and, and again, taking even service mesh traffic as a network traffic data source, uh, you know, have been important. So when we started, it was more NetFlow, SFlow, SNMP. Now, you know, we've added performance monitoring. We've added, you know, holistic cloud monitoring from the VMs or containers over to the cloud infrastructure. Where we haven't been as focused is on the packet side. Um, we can deal with people that live in a packet broker world, but we're not seeing quite as much of that in the public cloud um, evolution. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So so in in that vein, let's let's get down to kind of the specifics of of what you're facilitating uh, enterprises or or their their providers as the case may be um, in terms of actually Monitoring. So one one thing I found interesting when kind of um, uh, checking out uh, what you guys had to offer, and and I've I've run into uh, some of your folks at at WAN Summit uh, events and, and whatnot before, um, but you you'll say uh, you know we'll we'll monitor your WANs or your SD WANs, and and I want to put the emphasis on the S's at the end of those, <laughs> right? So um, so so you're you're you know looking at at multiple underlays, maybe multiple overlays, and what came to mind when, when thinking about that was wondering if um, your sort of monitoring tools are going to, I presume, work with any underlay technology. Is that also the case, if that is the case, with, with any SD-WAN overlay kind of provider? Or have you kind of integrated specific partners into your tools? Um, the answer is both. So in a synthetic monitoring world, we can see the end-to-end in a uh, traffic monitoring world, because we do both, it a little bit depends on the underlay and how they cooperate with telemetry, but we take that traffic and and some of the metrics that they emit from Silverpeak, Arioca, Hughes, Citrix, Cisco, Versa, uh, the VMware ecosystem, Palo Alto, Fortigate, Cisco, even down to the ASA, which people, you know, still the WAN edge. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we've got tighter integrations we've done, you know, with, with people like Silverpeak, where they have performance instrumentation, you know, if, if they've come from a, from a, a WAN, you know, a WAN acceleration perspective that we can take and present that becomes really um, operationally useful. And then we have people that um, we become their white label portal to, to upsell value, um, or at least, absolutely at least help operate, reduce tickets uh, to give mm-hmm. customers visibility. So because you know, we have an open platform, it can be used that way, either they can just take the data out to their own portal, which we have a couple dozen service providers that do, or they can use our white label portal uh, to give that access uh, to enterprise. 
Um, So the answer is, yes, we can see it. Some vendors open up more and those it's our goal to take as much richness as we can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then but then in the end, it could be sort of a a piece of the of the puzzle when you're looking to select an SD-WAN vendor integration with with this monitoring tool, maybe that uh, that sort of um, the thing that, uh, you know, breaks you over to to that vendor versus another. I mean, people are surprised to hear this, but um, our our research has found that even in, in 2020, it was fewer than half of the enterprises that we talked to had actually uh, rolled out SD WAN still at that point. So you have a lot of folks that are, you know, maybe late to the game, as it were, now, but are able to take advantage of those kinds of partnerships that have emerged over the last few years um, to to have a more fully integrated system. And it sounds like that is definitely the case. That that selecting uh, the right SD WAN partner is going to make your tools uh, more efficacious, as it will. Yeah, absolutely. And we are seeing that. I can't say it's 80% of the RFPs that go out, but the the newer the adapter, the more frustrated they are likely to be with the uh, MPLS visibility they've had, and the more Mm -hmm. likely they are to require not just that it work with Kentec, but that there be telemetry that they can use in an open way, um, you know, across their enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in that MPLS world and and you know again to, to throw some some you know high level data at that I mean we still find the vast majority of enterprises even if they're using SD WAN are, are still using some amount of MPLS so that's very often a piece of the pie it's only the really sort of more radical ones that have have gone fully internet but in that world SLAs were always attached to the network right uh, um, uh, now. Enterprises are increasingly that we talk to thinking about uh, QoS or QoA more in terms of of the specific application rather than as the network. Um, however, it seems to me that we're still not really in a place where where enterprises are getting access to application specific SLAs. Is your platform maybe something that that could help us? Obviously, you're not going to be offering SLAs. I wouldn't think in that way, but is is it something that can get them closer to that? end-to-end application-specific QOE um, that that would be like an application-specific SLA? Yeah, I think where people start is the SLA, and then they look to bring in the orchestration towards the QoS, QOE. But Mm -hmm. absolutely, Mm -hmm. it's something that we've been hearing for over a year from our customers um, is just seeing the network layer is not enough. So while we have a lightweight performance testing agent that can be deployed can even run on Arista, you know, it could run on, a, on, they actually make SFPs that are little Raspberry Pis nowadays. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a container Linux binary. People actually are looking to deploy to the edge of their network um, web and API functionality testing uh, right. because that's what the users actually need. And even, even the service providers that we talk to, their number one tickets for their SD-WAN services are around Office 365 performance. Yeah, um, absolutely. So people yeah. are not really saying, hey, your pop in this city is is my problem. It's, hey, I've got this composed application or service I need to use, and you know I have issues getting to it. So right. um, that's another area where we think that uh, the observability platforms will need to come together and interoperate. So you know we're looking at how can we automate that? Right? How can mm-hmm. we take a, a new Relic API key and then figure out what your apps are and have the network edge do that kind of testing uh, to really bring that together? Now, 
Uh, there's still different people using different platforms. Uh, it's a journey uh, that the industry is on, but uh, we're absolutely seeing that. Start with SLA, application mm-hmm. specific for sure, but then use that to drive capacity interconnection and QoS, QoE policy at the network layer. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so so an- another key trend, of course, on, on the minds of, of many WAN managers, you, you already brought up sassy so this is uh this is part and parcel of of um, not just the edge but securing the edge um is that uh as i like to think of it uh, you know security and network um used to be to uh to paraphrase badly stephen j gould um you know non-overlapping magisteria <laughs> uh, now now very much um you you have to integrate uh those teams you have to integrate that strategy um does that also integrate into uh, visibility? Are you are you working on improving security, being part of that um, sassy ecosystem, if you will? Uh, the answer is absolutely yes. I'll give you an editorial, uh, <laughs> perhaps too erudite co- um, comment, which is I've never really bought the non-overlapping man- magisteria. If you look at the hierarchy of the sciences, you know, under math you have philosophy, and then. Mm-hmm. I would argue that in many cases, religion, you know, underlies the postulates of philosophy, but that's a topic for a separate, separate. Well, as, as it happens, I, I tend to agree. I think Gould is wrong. I think that, uh, any claims that, it, uh, involve material reality have to be a part of science, of course. Yes. But yeah. That, that is, uh, that, 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 I think that makes it work even better for, you know, we're network and security ever actually not well, overlapping. Well, that's go with my answer, yeah. which is right. in the nineties and the 80s, we were, you know, uh, proto nerds that, that that roamed the digital uh, the digital world, and we weren't only software architects or network managers or WAN managers or sysadmins or security people. Right. It was, you know, one bundle that has become more specialized. And I can tell you from experience in the field, security and network. And even SRE and the developer side are absolutely different cultures with different languages, Mm -hmm. different ways of seeing things, different workflows. But the uh, orchestration, dynamicity, diversity of what's going on is making it clear to everybody that these things need to come together. Now, that's a huge educational and even product challenge. But as I said, in, in the Kubernetes world where things could be ephemeral and live for seconds. In fact, we have Kentic users that don't look at IP addresses, mm-hmm. right? They're feeding us live feeds of, of DHCP and Kubernetes orchestration and DNS queries. And all they care about is what, what, what user went to what app, you know, tokenized, mm-hmm. of course. And the actual IP address is not something that's going to be relevant, you know, an hour later. So how do how do traditional tools in whatever world work in that world? You have to have, as I said, a data bus. You have to have the orchestration data sync. You have to have systems of record. So I think the answer is they both are different cultures, but also they're coming together. And not just security right. and network, but also, you know, the app world that thinks network is just APIs and there's no people anymore. Um, right. Russ White, I don't know who he was quoting or whether it was his own, but he said, orchestration does not mean simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. Automation does not mean simplicity. Ultimately, someone's got to debug it. So we think that's going to drive a huge amount of evolution um, in observability platforms over the next, you know, few years. And we're excited to be uh, trying to help people figure that out. 
but there's only so much we can do from the outside for internal culture. Um, and so that's also something that's going on in parallel. Yeah. So, so mentioning like Kubernetes, it's not just about getting the WAN team to talk to the security team. It's getting the WAN team and the security team and the, the DevOps team to all, uh, yeah. uh, get, get together in a room. That's, that's a diplomacy and an HR problem. We run, we run into that on the WAN manager podcast a lot that, uh, at, at, you know, no, no matter what your technical expertise, um, the, the job of, of the IT infrastructure manager is as much getting the right people to have the right conversations and understand each other as it is any of the uh, engineering challenges. Yeah. And, and just, just common language. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's, ex- what's interesting is to see, um, the most hipster observability platforms take the SLO concept from the ITIL land and try to adopt it. That's to me exciting that people might have common terminology that they can talk. But um, you know, at the same time, there are there are security people that say, "Hey, I can't do anything until I can see the network." And then there are security, you know, people that that say, "That's network monitoring. That doesn't really, you know, affect me. That's someone else's job." So there's still right. there's still going to be some evolution there. Well, hopefully um, uh, this this gives a little bit of sort of um, weight that the network teams can can take to the security team and say, hey, this is why you need to listen to us, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Excellent. So, you know, of course, th- this is the WAN Manager podcast. Um, uh, a lot of our listeners are on the, the WAN IT infrastructure teams from, from non-telecom enterprises. We certainly have a lot of listeners from the other side too, in in the service provider, carrier community, vendors of, of various types. Uh, I I I'm wondering, like, if you can go through how your uh, tools are working on that side as well. Are are you providing these tools to the service providers um, in, in a way, whether the enterprise sort of has access to that or not, but that are facilitating um, all of this from from their end? Uh, or are you primarily uh, sort of uh, going for the enterprise uh, itself? Yeah, we're almost a little under half of our business is actually working with service providers. Now, that's got a very broad definition. So of it's course, some of the largest yeah. cloud providers, it's eyeball networks, it's global wholesale transit providers, it's it's incumbent, you know, sort of sell everything service providers, especially outside the US. A lot of those organizations have really tight relationships with enterprise, you know, IT management. And what we do see as a commonality, though, is people wanting to not be constrained by, you know, the CapEx factor, right, which is the traditional model of I deploy CapEx, I can make this much OpEx, um, really wanting to do value-added services. And so um, there's actually a persona that we work with that is, um, or two in the in the service provider world that are different than enterprise. One of them we call the network product person, someone that wants to make a visibility portal. And as I said, we have customers that upcharge for that, or they offer a base level at least to reduce cost to reduce, you know, ticketing. Then we right. have a network BI. So we actually have salespeople that log into Kentic from wholesale carriers, especially that say, wait, I'm sending traffic to peers. I'm not getting paid for that. The cheapest customers for me to sell to are the places I'm already sending traffic and not getting paid. Let me go make them a special offer. Or it's a finance group that is saying, hey, customer wants a new price. Will this be profitable for me? Especially right. Again, some of my other service providers are CDNs. Uh, the CDNs, mm-hmm. I call them magic packet transporters. 
Um, right. And they, yeah. they can do bad things too. networks because they don't work in the BGP world. They, you know, right. they're magic. Um, so yeah, that's been a focus for us. Our interest going forward is how do we partner to bring some of the, the coherent observability uh, platforms and services that uh, to the enterprises that are customers, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially around performance monitoring, the application performance monitoring uh, or the performance monitoring of the applications, you know, um, that, that people reach through the networks. Yeah, no, that, that's all really fascinating, especially uh, it's interesting to to hear that you have sort of like the business intelligence side of of uh, of the wholesale market. So it's just like that from, you know, everything, of course, starts there with with the, you know, as I like to explain to people that whatever is happening in the in the wholesale uh, market, just in terms of carriers exchanging traffic and, you know, uh, down to the, the very physical fact of building new submarine cables that that reverberates all the way down to um, how things are shaking out for the enterprise and, and what uh, what's cost effective for them and whatnot. But um, to, to focus back on, on one of the things you mentioned in terms of them um, sort of integrating your tools into their system, is is that something that might work its way into whether it's from, you know, sort of a full service carrier or maybe a managed service provider that, you know, the vaunted uh, uh, single pane of glass, right, that mm-hmm. that um, everyone pr- promises or, or, or whatever, um, it, w- would your sort of tools be maybe feeding into some of those proprietary kind of services um, uh, help uh, that, that show up to the enterprise eventually? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people call it, you know, reducing swivel fatigue. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's always going to be the Star Trek knocks that view it as a marketing thing to have mm-hmm. 70 panes of things. But ultimately, from a customer satisfaction perspective, the goal is to know about problems and fix them before customers notice, uh, which right. does require you know pulling all this all together and, and doing prediction and proactive notification as well. And so, yeah, we, we absolutely um, see that trend. And usually we're part of that in a service provider where we're feeding it, they're usually not using us as the primary pane of glass to pull absolutely everything together. Right. But they'll, right. they'll provide the layer two and up, you know, really layer two to seven, stitching, underlay, overlay, uh, traffic performance, metrics, health. Um, but we're not going down to the transport layer. So that could be that they're, you know, using our Grafana plugin or that they're taking data from us. Um, or that they're, um, you know, using pieces of our white label portal, you know, into their, into their platform. So that, mm-hmm. that's what we usually see in the enterprise. Usually there's a, an, a app ops team, uh, separate from a cluster ops team, separate from a network ops team. And right. that's where we're more like, likely to be the single pane of glass okay. on the one side and feeding the systems with visibility that the other, um, the other groups are using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just out of curiosity, um, something that that we've focused on uh, at Telegeography in in our sort of research uh, recently has been um, vendors that are focused on kind of uh, middle mile performance. Obviously, end to end is and and application performance are are what kind of matters to the enterprise, but. When you're in the the internet world, um, that that piece, the the middle mile, uh, uh, depending on how one defines that, of course, um, uh, right. ha- can can be a particular bottleneck. Um, 
uh, I, I assume that that th- there's some way of of answering that problem from from your software as well in in terms of just that end to end performance or is is middle mile just something you would consider to be well that that just gets uh, subsumed by by the the larger p- uh, picture of what we're doing. Uh, it's absolutely a huge focus. I mean, most of the congestion is still between networks, which is really that middle mile. Right. Exactly. Um, and yep. It's a pretty well understood world convolved with just the growth of CDNs that skip, that magically bypass the middle mile, but have their own issues, which is part of, you know, we also see that. Of course. But, yeah. Or uh, the network as a service, since you brought it up before, yep. that, that's that's one segment of what gets called network as a service anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the, the you can't do end-to-end without seeing the middle mile, without seeing the path, without being able to diagnose, without being able to say, hey, all these things that are sitting and going to that network or that part of that network are, are appearing to have an issue. Um, and making that work for cloud um, or you know network as a service. And that's why it's important to go all the way up to application level visibility, even for people mm-hmm. that are not trying to debug the applications, because then you can ask questions and say, hey, I see there's a performance problem. I know that. Okay, now where is it? The meantime, right. what do I do okay. about it? Is the From question. that place to every yeah. other network location is a problem. Okay, that tells me one thing. From that mm. place to every app in a remote network tells me, mm. okay, it's probably the network. From that place to an app in every network, but everything else is fine, tells me I need to go look at the app. Now, Kentic is right. not trying to help people do that kind of deep debugging, but we want a deep mm-hmm. link into the platforms that people are using for that. Because what we're hearing from uh, you know, CIOs is it's great that you have all that that all these things are now open, but could you vendors please figure this out and and make this stuff work together? So that's been really a, a push for us in the last couple of years integration wise. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of sense from the customer perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And in, in, in the end you have to be able to take action that fixes the problem. That's the point, right? So, yep. yeah, 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 absolutely. So now, you know, uh, the last thing I want to touch on here is is just that you guys have this uh, uh, really interesting view into what's going on in the network because you have access to all of these tools that you've you've put all around the world, right? Um, uh, so, so when when everyone out there in the world these days is talking about uh, digital transformation to bring up uh, another buzzword and 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 knowing that uh, of course what what that means precisely depends on on the context but in almost any case it, it certainly means something about more traffic to the cloud right um, so so in in your view of the market that gets facilitated by these tools um, uh, how do you think enterprises are, are sort of actually using the cloud what are what are the trends there um, uh, ha- have have we have we gone to a fully digitally transformed world? Um, are we in some stage of that? I think that um, there's still a long way to go. But um, what we've seen is certainly it was a lot easier to, to turn things on in cloud than to send someone to rack some boxes. Right. It doesn't mean that there was no data center growth uh, over the last year, but there definitely was a... Um, continued growth in the cloud, the pace of it was already so high. I don't know that you could say an acceleration of that growth. Uh, So I don't know how many derivatives you could look at for that. 
Um, what we have seen is that as the cloud's gotten more critical, people are using some of those network as a service, traditional peering architecture, ways of and new services from the cloud vendors themselves to not use the commodity internet uh, to be connecting things together, even even between clouds, even as someone might be using Office 365, mm. have their corporate mm-hmm. documents there, have partners with S3 buckets and be using Google you know, ML services or BigQuery and Looker, though that's the multi-cloud that we see is different, the best of breed of each of the cloud vendors right. stitched together in aggregate. And then people mm-hmm. are looking at that interconnectivity a lot more closely and using right. some of these newer services, which ultimately we think will be good for uh, making them enterprise grade, uh, you know, and reliable. Um, however, now that things are opening up, we're absolutely seeing data center spend open, um, you know, between Kubernetes and VMware, people still deploying the hybrid side of it and making sure that the applications they write can at least in theory run um, in any kind of infrastructure. So there's still that mm-hmm. dynamic and I wouldn't count mm-hmm. uh, the hybrid side of it out uh, just yet. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and you, you've kind of mentioned this a, a bit in, in that response in, in terms of what things have been like over the past year and how they're developing now that you can get boots back on the ground. But any any just high level specific um, thoughts on on the 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 covid impact? I mean, obviously, the the edge, so to speak, has has moved to being a distributed edge all over the place. Um, what, what has that been? Uh, uh, in terms of the impact on traffic and, and maybe what are some of the other key impacts that you've seen uh, specific to this, uh, you know, a proliferation of, of distributed uh, endpoints? Sure. So I'll, let me split that up into two. Mm-hmm. Um, we got very lucky a year ago this time that people had forward deployed to scale. And right. we saw a lot of that get sucked up pretty quickly as as things um uh as things went out of the office right and went uh over over the top over the internet right um there was about nine months ago a little bit of a concern about supply chains that's hitting us now again but Mm -hmm. because of that concern that people had realized hey our dr models did not have like rolling country by country asynchronous slowdowns baked in. So we need to look at what is the supply chain and at least order ahead enough to to change our our view of what is risk. So again, even today, we're not seeing that kind of broad scale congestion, even as as there's chip and other supply issue. Chip, I'll say, and container misorchestration in the Suez uh, issues (laughs) as well. so that part has been great, and there's been some blips here and there, but overall things are still working ten times better than they did in the '90s with the internet um, and even right. with cloud networking. So the second part regarding edge is interesting because there's been a lot of motion towards the, you know, the, even the five G edge, mm-hmm. and pre-COVID, the actual biggest distributed edge was actually the wiring closet, which right. is not really. Mm-hmm. Um, is not really uh, attractive to be thinking about, oh my God, that's that's the edge, that's the old, right? How could the old right. be the edge? Right. But actually, if you look at what Juniper and some of the other vendors are doing, um, some of the biggest innovation on the network side is actually um, you know, towards the campus. Arista has a big effort mm-hmm. there too. So I wouldn't count out the traditional edge, 
right. on the other hand, um, how are we talking right now? How do we do our business? You know, Zoom is a is a, is a, is a valued customer um, right. as well. So how do we how do we make all this be connected? Well, it's actually people's home, right? So the home is now mm-hmm. the edge. Um, right. And then the interesting question will be: To what extent do some of those services move to the 5G or broadband edge, because right now most of them are sitting in data centers, which is, again, Mm -hmm. it's another kind of edge. So I think it'll be fascinating. We've put a lot of the technology in place, but today I'd be hard pressed to point to anything that would show, you know, 25% of the applications running at what people think the edge is going to be. Yet I'm Mm -hmm. convinced it will get there. And I just can't say, is it going to be three months or 12 months or 24 months? But for sure, COVID has accelerated it. Yeah, yeah, and even just in in terms of of how one achieves that, obviously, when when you're talking about sort of the telephone closet at the campus, uh, it's a lot easier to uh, facilitate the edge there on a hardware device or something maybe that um, that you drop on an x86. But if you're doing edge, so to speak, at the home, then it has to be something that can run on on a, a device, right? You know, a, a laptop or, or, you know, I suppose there, there's some folks out there mailing, uh, you know, um, small devices or whatever to their employees. But I think that'll have somewhat of a, of a you know, that, that that's difficult. That's logistically challenging, right? So. We're seeing people do it. It's more like endpoint you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that we're seeing people do, but, um, uh, yeah, it's definitely been interesting to see technology or at least half a decade of, of innovation and progress, uh, packed into a pretty tight, uh, period over the last year. Well, that's right. To, to bring up another sort of uh, cliche necessity is the mother of invention, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, we were in a much better position to handle all of this than we, than we easily could have been if, if his, the accidents of history had shaken out uh, absolutely. Just a, a few years earlier, maybe. Right. So, yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. It was, it, but it's hard. Yet at the same time, it's hard to say that it's been fortunate. So, um, you know, at least <laughs> it waited this long, I'll yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, that, you know, that was really interesting. Thank you so much um, for, for taking us through all that. Any, any sort of just parting thoughts uh, from you on, on, uh, you know, where uh, you, you think the market or, or Kentuck in particular is headed? I think it's a fascinating time to be alive. It's a fascinating time to be in technology. It's a fascinating time mm-hmm. to be in networking. I think that um, the networking folks that connect everyone are going to continue the branding and momentum that they've had during COVID um, and be an increasing part of the conversation. And to me, it feels like the pace of activity is sort of like being an ISP in the 90s. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you wake up next month and there'll be something new and that creates a lot of excitement um, and opportunity. Um, So our goal at Kentic is just to keep rolling out the services that help people um, from designing to operating, scaling, and, and, and making fast, you know, all the infrastructure services. And uh, to the extent that we can, helping bridge the cultures that we talked about, mm-hmm. um, um, the magisteria across operations. And, right. um, and ultimately, that'll be better for everybody from, uh, from consumer to enterprise to service providers. So I'm just uh, excited and happy to be working on this. And thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. So um, if, if you've if you've heard the show before, I always like to ask folks a kind of uh, non-telecom networking question <laughs> at the end. 
Um, and and what you know what I've been going with lately is 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 fairly obvious. I think I mentioned on our last episode that I've 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 gotten one shot, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, uh, you know the 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 horizon is there where a, a lot of folks um, are are getting. Um, uh, you know, their vaccine at this point, um, once that maybe becomes a, a reality, what is the thing that you are most looking forward to that has been missing from your life these past uh, 12 some odd months? I am looking forward to um, traveling to Israel and traveling to Japan. Oh, cool. Not done in a while, but um, mm-hmm. uh, next week I am going, I have had um, both shots and I am Excellent. going to the East Coast. I will still be waving at my family and not hugging them, but that will be the first yeah. time to see them in person for a year. After oh, wow. I've seen them uh, for a couple nights on Zoom this weekend for Satyrs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am looking forward to travel. Now, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not looking forward to traveling every week. Ironically, this last <laughs> year has been the healthiest. It's the first time I haven't had a sinus infection from getting on an mm-hmm. airplane uh, yes. in 20 years. So that's yeah. sobering and, and makes you think about what parts of um, the adaptation from the last year are going to become permanent. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, mask wearing, for example, is, is something that it's so easy to do. It's the cost is relatively low. I imagine that some form of it might stick around. Certainly, if, if, if you feel ill, throw on a mask or when you're traveling, you know, that mm-hmm. that may be a change that uh, that would be a positive one for a long time, I think so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just generally a, a concern with prudent uh, hygiene. Um, yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Make Rethink all of that. You know, yeah. maybe the handshake has disappeared forever and that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> so, I yeah. don't think that's going to be a global phenomenon. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. There, I mean, there's some who may say the opposite will happen that when, when this is finally behind us, we'll almost go to a more European style greeting with you know, the, 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 the cheek kisses and whatnot. I'm, I'm not so sure that will take hold, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. I think it's uh, awesome. We have a lot of diversity and I yeah. think that uh, we'll see, uh, we won't have homogeneity in, in reactions, but th- there's definitely some changes that will carry forward. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a bunch of things that will make the last couple of years um, uh, studied in, in high school history for yeah. our foreseeable future. Absolutely. I was just, just saying to my wife the other night, I was like, you know, I, I envy the uh, the PhD candidates right now, who, you know, whatever field you're in, whether it's epidemiology to all the way to economics, you have a an absolute baked in kind of field of study to just jump in. Right. You know? yep. So Absolutely. Uh, cool. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. And I hope we can talk again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. Just let me know. Great. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The WAN Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day. So if you're listening and you like what you hear on the WAN Manager podcast, we think you're going to love the WAN Forum. 
Coming this spring, the WAN Forum is a new community and content hub that has been curated by me and my colleagues at Telegeography. So what does that mean? Well, it means we're building an online space for those folks who manage wide area networks and maintain IT infrastructure for mid to large enterprises. WAN Forum members can access exclusive telegeography analysis, presentations, research tools, bonus podcast content, and lots more. We're currently putting the finishing touches on the WAN Forum, and we can't wait to show you the whole thing this spring. Now, normally membership is going to cost $999 a year, but if you want early access to the platform, in exchange for your feedback, we'll let you take that first look for free. So if you like the sound of that, email us at info at WANforum.com and we'll send you more details and we look forward to seeing you at the WAN Forum.